Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host Divya Murali, a research analyst at the institute. The Finance Minister of India, Nirmala Sitaraman, presented the Indian budget for fiscal year 2023-24 on 1st February 2023. Presented as the first Amritkal budget, a term coined by Prime Minister Modi to describe India's journey for the next 25 years to India at 100, the budget gains importance as the world faces the prospect of slowdown and potential recession due to high levels of global inflation. Besides, This is also the last full budget of the current Modi administration before India heads to polls in 2024. To unpack this important budget in detail, in this edition of South Asia Chat, we have with us two eminent experts, Mr. Vinod Rai, distinguished visiting research fellow in Institute of South Asian Studies and former Comptroller and Auditor General of India, and Dr. Amitendu Palit, senior research fellow and research lead, Trade and Economics at the Institute of South Asian Studies. Welcome to the podcast Mr. Rai and Dr. Palit. To begin the conversation, my first question is that the finance minister Nirmala Sitaraman presented her fifth budget on 1st February 2023. The government has continued its path of capex led growth or that is capital expenditure led growth from the last couple of years while commendably staying in the fiscal consolidation path. Mr. Rai, what are your overall impressions of the budget? who do you think are the main winners and who do you think have lost out thank you divya thank you for having us um, with, um, with you today uh, to explain the presentation of budget let's see the scenario as it's obtaining in india today firstly there is a slowing down of domestic growth rate there are global recession fears there is also persistently elevated prices fears of unemployment and high fiscal deficit of course to be followed next year by general elections so this is the scenario under which the finance minister was presenting a full budget probably the only full budget before the next general election now in such a scenario i would compliment the minister for presenting a balanced budget which steers clear of the temptation to go in for populist announcements which has been the trend in the recent past for budgets just preceding elections the budget has announced no freebies and its strong point is realistic recognition of the usual budget numbers why do i say that the budget uses nominal gross domestic growth of 10.5% as its modeling assumption now normal gdp growth of 6% with average inflation of 4.5% in fy24 net tax tax revenue center also assumed to rise by about 11.7% which is a reasonable level of buoyancy which has obtained in the year gone going by net revenues to center also assumed to rise by about 11% as i mentioned both corporate and income tax collections are assumed to grow at about 10 and a half percent so there is no overestimation on other revenue items such as disinvestment this year disinvestment was pegged at 60000 crores 
whereas India's performance as yet has been only 31,000 crores. So I think the finance minister has very realistically pegged the disinvestment figure for the next year at 51,000 crores. Now on the expenditure side, as you mentioned, the big positive continues to be the focus on boosting capital expenditure. And it is expected that with this 37% increase to rupees 10 trillion crores, the effective capital expenditure will be able to boost substantial uh, works which will provide long-term employment. Now, expenditure on revenue account is only rising by about 1.2%, and the net of the rise in interest payments is going down for the current year. So, this has enabled, uh, this has been enabled by the cut in subsidies, which are budgeted to fall from roughly rupees 3.5 trillion to rupees 3.7 trillion crores. Now, the other thing positive in the budget has been the railway's capital spend, which has been boosted to rupees 2.4 trillion crores, the highest ever in the nine years of the present government. And then there are significant incent incentives for green energy and hydrogen, and the government is obviously indicating that it is serious about energy transition. The budget, as I mentioned, has stuck to fiscal prudence, um, uh, prudence and the fiscal deficit is pegged to fall from its 5.9% of G GDP, therefore leaving less market borrowing uh, for government and hence more for the private sector. So on the whole, long-term infra has been a gainer, roads, by, uh, ports and airports. Losers, not really any, because the competing demands on the budget were substantially high. I'd leave it at that for the time being. Dr. Palit. Uh, thank you, Divya. So I would uh, like to uh, add on to what uh, Mr. Rai had mentioned in terms of uh, highlighting one critical aspect of the budget, and that is the uh, very sharp increase in capital expenditure, which is to the tune of around 33%. Uh, what that would essentially mean is that uh, as far as public investment is concerned, the government's emphasis is uh, largely on maintaining the investment momentum in the economy. Now, I think this needs to be looked at in the context of the fact that there is uh, a fairly uh, gloomy global outlook, which is uh, presaging the presentation of the budget. There are already uh, expectations that a large part of the global economy will experience sharp contraction in growth. The latest numbers that were shared uh, practically just before the budget were announced by the International Monetary Fund uh, shows that India is uh, one of those uh, minority economies which is in a relatively better position as far as uh, generating a 6% plus growth rate is concerned. But that uh, can just not follow from the projections that needs to be backed by action. So from the government's side, this increase in capital expenditure was a very significant move because that would enable the investment funds to stay in the pipeline and generate sufficient investment in the economy, primarily through infrastructure projects. And infrastructure projects, as we know, have this uh, virtuous effect of generating employment. And those uh, opportunities would be new. Those opportunities uh, will be fairly broad-based in terms of around 
hundred new infrastructure projects that have been identified for end-to-end -end connectivity. And apart from that, as Mr. Rai mentioned, there's a substantial step up in uh, capital expenditure that's gone out for the railways. So uh, the interesting part is that I think this, this understanding of the budget that as far as the Indian economy is concerned and if it is to maintain the kind of growth rate that it is expected to, the bulk of the demand actually has to come from within the economy. And that is a very interesting understanding because if the global economy is experiencing by and large uh, the prospect of recession, then India really cannot rely much on the global economy for sustaining its growth, much as there was a fairly good export performance last year. So the momentum, the engine of growth actually has to be within the economy. And that is for which the investment support has been provided in a very wholesome fashion. Thank you, Dr. Palet and Mr. Rai. And now, if I could ask Mr. Rai, so one of the main highlight of the budget was the announcements on direct taxes, the bonanza, uh, particularly on personal income tax and the capital gains tax. In a way, we could say that this is the first tax announcement of this administration that directly benefits the common taxpaying middle class citizens. Uh, what is your assessment of this? I mean, considering it in the background of the current prevailing inflationary pressures which are expected to sustain for a while do you think it has enough for the middle class it has enough in it for the middle class to rejoice or has it come a little bit too late and a little bit too little too late well to understand why the finance minister seems to have brought out the direct uh, tax proposals as she has it we need to look at india's response to the pandemic both from on monetary and the fiscal policy side, which was not huge as in advanced countries. Uh, thus, it did not face problems of exceptionally strong demand, uh, domestic demand. However, supply bottlenecks and commodity price shock posed challenges for inflation. And so, in 2022, aggressive monetary tightening by advanced economies, central banks, was the new challenge that India was facing. Now, during the pandemic, the existing schemes such as the PM Kisan scheme, in which rupees 6,000 was given to every um, land farm landowner, and the Narega scheme, which guaranteed 100 days of uh, rural um, employment, were continued. In addition to this, the government had introduced the free meal scheme, which was given to about 800 people over the period of the pandemic. This was, of course, apart from the credit guarantee for SMEs and the non-banking finance com uh, companies. Now, in the present budget, the government has, uh, uh, in fact, before the present budget, corporate tax cuts had been introduced in September 2019. Now, in the present budget, the last date for commencement of manufacturing or production to claim that concession rate has been extended. In addition to that, the personal income tax that you talked about and you said it's been a bit of a bonanza, proposals do permit a rebate limit in the new income tax regime from rupees 5 lakhs to rupees 7 lakhs. Number of slabs have been reduced from 6 to 5 and the benefit of standard deduction has been given. Now, uh, 
This nets the government only about 35,000 crores, if I can say. So on the whole, if you one has to look at it, the pandemic and even now India's fiscal policy has been measured and has not gone heavy on directly stimulating private consumption expenditure, as was expected by lots of us. Now, this has helped you to avoid the demand pressure faced by many advanced economies and thus allows monetary policy to be relatively not as tight uh, as in the long run to curtail demand in its fight against inflation. Now, in this context, the direct tax measures announced in this year's budget relating to the middle class are definitely welcome, but in aggregate may not provide a major impetus to private consumption since, as I mentioned earlier, the overall uh, benefit is only 35,000 crores. And while there is a clear push towards taxpayers adopting the new tax regime, since much of the benefit accrues to those who are to shifted to the new regime, the beneficiary base is currently estimated to be a minority of roughly about 5 million persons only. Now, uh, while the tax benefits announced in the new tax regime seems to be attractive for those with income of, say, less than rupees 5 lakhs and those above rupees 50 million, it is less for those availing deductions relating to Section 80C. So on the overall, while the announcements do bring optimism and cheers through the headline of tax benefits, the materiality of it may be mild for the middle class at least. Dr. Palit? I would uh, opine in this case that uh, when it comes to direct taxes and insofar as the preparation of a budget in a country like India is concerned, uh, it's always a tightrope walking. It's tightrope walking because ideally uh, the minister would want to raise as much uh, resources as possible through direct taxes are concerned because that's really uh, the goal and uh, principle of an efficient uh, and effective tax administration system. But unfortunately, in India's case, uh, notwithstanding efforts made over uh, years, the expansion of the tax base has not been as much as uh, ideally it should be. So there are large sections of income earners who continue to be left outside the scope of uh, income taxes. Having said that, India has also been uh, particularly conscious uh, about the importance of uh, staying away from the temptation of raising uh, taxes because raising taxes is uh, not the way forward for collecting more revenues. They would actually encourage more evasion as the past experience has suggested. So this being a rather uh, delicate situation with uh, limited room for maneuver, I think what the minister has been encouraged by is the uh, performance of the current fiscal in which uh, there is a clear reflection that the uh, revenues that have been mobilized from corporate tax and personal income tax have been more than the budgeted estimates for the year. And that has clearly given the government the confidence that they would be able to reproduce the performance in the uh, year to come as well. So that might allow uh, the government a limited flexibility in uh, enabling the middle class uh, some sort of tax relief. So to that extent, uh, 700,000 rupees uh, earners uh, would go tax-free. 
and there are some concessions uh, that have been announced for corporate income tax. There are some very uh, far-reaching concessions that have been given for uh, women taxpayers insofar as their long-term tax uh, gains and rebates on those are concerned. But uh, the point over here, uh, Divya, I think which is important to note in this context is that uh, I think Mr. Rai pointed out that this might have a limited uh, impact, positive impact on consumption, uh, simply because of the fact that ultimately the the impact on consumption would actually depend upon the real purchasing power of the middle class, which would depend on the domestic inflation. Now, domestic inflation is something on which the finance minister will not always have a handle, because there would be external factors that would contribute to the inflation. But on the whole, uh, this probably again uh, would go down as a step which is aimed at encouraging consumption demand in the economy and to that extent uh, be taken as a step for encouraging the growth momentum. Thank you. It also looks like the government has given enough reasons for the markets to cheer as well, not just for the citizens uh, by the relief that was brought about by the direct tax announcements. So the finance minister said that her indirect tax um, announcements aim to promote exports, boost domestic manufacturing, enhance domestic value addition, encourage green energy and mobility. So Dr. Palat, could you just give your assessments on what you see about this, particularly in the context that this is the year that India is presiding over G20? It's interesting that uh, this year India, uh, through the budget, decided to actually bring down the customs duties on a large number of products. And uh, that is interesting because of uh, two particular reasons. One, it is interesting from the perspective of efficiency because uh, all along there has been this view that uh, India has uh, not uh, worked on the customs duty structure as effectively as it could have because uh, there are... Uh, there's a feature called inverted customs duty which uh, leads one to the situation that the customs duty on imported inputs happens to be more than the customs duty on the final product which uses them. So that is something which from a supply chain perspective as well as the perspective of the final producer is, uh, is, is a rather retrograde step. I think there are two factors which have contributed to the rationalization of customs duty. First, the fact that uh, some industries have uh, really received uh, enthusiastic and encouraging response following the announcement of the production-linked incentive schemes. And I specifically allude to the domestic electronic uh, manufacturing uh, symbolized by the smartphones over the fact that the Apple iPhones have now become significantly large in capacity production in India, but that would entail uh, their access to imported components uh, at a competitive rate. So it's essential to bring down the uh, imported duties on those components, number one. Number two, uh, even for the rest of the PLIs and for encouraging exports at large, it is very important that exporters have access to imported inputs at low rates because otherwise their cost of production goes up. So I think this is uh, coming out of the fact that India now is working on an export target of uh, $400 billion per year. And the last year has been good in so far as uh, going ahead of this target is concerned. It is uh, a situation where India has to some extent the advantage of a weak rupee. Uh, this is not to say that a weak rupee will necessarily encourage exports, but a weak rupee vis-a-vis -vis the American dollar certainly gives uh, Indian exporters 
a price advantage in several markets, particularly uh, the American market. So all in all, uh, this should be taken as a move for encouraging exporters. But having said that, uh, the challenge over here will be that to what extent can the Indian exporters take advantage uh, of this situation because it is important for them to actually uh, work on a higher capacity. Uh, now, higher capacity, again, is a function of the conditions under which they operate internally, including the conditions uh, which impact their doing business uh, scenarios. But uh, looking at the global markets, global markets uh, are in a situation where they are not volatile specifically, but they're also not in a particularly robust condition in the sense that uh, they, they might go either way. Much will depend upon uh, how the U.S. Fed behaves in the years to come, in the months to come. Much will also depend upon how the Ukraine conflict pans out. And eventually the extent by which uh, Indian exporters are able to make use of the new freight rate agreements that India is getting into. Thank you, Dr. Palit. So if I could come back again to you, Dr. Palit, uh, and also shifting the lens towards the social sectors. So this budget has continued the trend from last budget and has slashed the MNREGA allocation, even when there are reports that allude to high unemployment levels driven by rural unemployment numbers. Similarly, the government expenditure on health and education as a percentage of GDP has been negligible. Do you think the budget had enough for all sections of the society? That's a very interesting point that you mentioned, Divya. You see, I think uh, this is a budget which uh, also points to a particular dilemma as far as public policy is concerned. Now, as uh, Mr. Rai mentioned earlier, post-COVID, the emphasis of the government in so far as uh, public policy has been concerned, and for obvious reasons, has been on supporting livelihoods and trying to ensure that there is some minimum income uh, that is assured particularly on part of those people who were displaced after COVID. And that primarily would comprise the rural mobile population, which moves from rural areas to the cities and back and forth. And we are aware of the uh, disruptions that happen for migrant labor, a large part of the population. But having said that, the challenge over here is that how long can a government maintain a supportive policy for assuring those incomes? Because this might eventually turn out to be a race to the bottom. Ultimately, from a finance minister's perspective, from a budget's perspective, the challenge is to mobilize sufficient revenues and revenues out of a natural buoyancy in the economy that is created by good and strong growth. Unless that happens, the capacity to support public welfare programs is reduced. I think this is where the government had to take a somewhat rational decisions, which could also be partly unpopular politically. And the fact that the allocation has been reduced on a year-on-year -year basis from MNREGA, I think is also a signal towards the fact that it is, uh, it is perhaps not right to expect that allocations under public welfares will keep on extending and keep on getting increased uh, you know, through, through an almost elastic process. That, that just cannot happen. Perhaps the time has come for uh, you know, a lot of beneficiaries of this program 
to also look at the possibility of getting engaged in an overall growth-inducing process because there are supportive conditions that are being created, particularly through the capital expenditure support, the rural uh, development allocation support, including the kind of very big push that the government has provided towards uh, creation of new urban infrastructure including the Urban Infrastructure Development Fund, particularly in the Tier 2 and Tier 3 cities of the country, where I expect a substantial amount of the beneficiaries of the MRREGA will actually get employment and be able to earn livelihood. So in that case, if they are actually exposed to new opportunities, where is the rationale for providing more income support through the MMERGA? I think that is a major public policy decision to be made and this is a bold step. This is a bold step coming in the back of situations in the country where there is actually a very unfortunate move towards fiscal profligacy that is being noticed on part of several state governments in terms of revival of the old pension scheme demands and so on and so forth, which is actually not the way forward. I mean, ultimately, populist economic policies can can really not deliver beyond a certain point in time. So to that extent, I think this is an interesting, innovative and bold step that has been taken by the budget. Mr. Rai, is there anything at all that you think the finance minister could have done differently in this budget? Oh, well, uh, to put oneself in the finance minister's shoes, I wouldn't really envy the finance minister. Uh, on the one side, you have the economy recovering from a pandemic. On the other side, you have a general election facing you in about a year's time. Now, what does a finance minister do? With the very limited flexibility available to her in, uh, you know, with these constraints. Um, I think, as I said earlier, she has done pretty well. She has ticked all the boxes. She has been able to provide a nudge to the population which was here to dependent upon rural employment guarantee or free um, allowance of rations to move into areas where capex will be giving them uh, increased capex will be giving them employment opportunities so i think that has been a very uh, good uh, cal calibrated very well calibrated initiative that has been taken you can always say that um, social sector which is health maybe education has not been provided enough but as I mentioned earlier, the co competing demands. And to that extent, I think the uh, finance minister has done well. Yes, some more direct assistance to MSME, which employs a large number of people in the unorganized sector, may probably have been better. And that's what I would say. So to wrap it up, the final question. Um, so as India heads to polls in 2024, which Mr. Rai also just mentioned in his previous um, response, this is the last full budget of this government. Um, so does it have enough to appeal to the OTIS? Mr. Rai, if you could go first. Well, I, I, I think uh, the, the government has taken a positive step in indicating that they don't want to go in for populist measures. They don't want to go in for distribution of what I would call largesse or freebies. And the government would like to invite the public, the normal public or the uh, voting public towards its developmental programs. To that extent, I think it's a good philosophy. And I would sincerely believe that 
providing long-term employment opportunities, providing more on the development side is an uh, issue or is a uh, item of expenditure which would appeal to the voter as he is getting a long-term prospect of employment, which means disposable income is enhanced, which will ultimately generate demand. So I think um, I would laud the government for the step taken by them in this direction. Dr. Palit? The problem over here is that it's very, uh, it's, it's mostly uh, not always that good economics translates into good politics. There's always a dichotomy between the two because what would ideally be seen as good economic, sensible, rational decisions might not actually have uh, strong political dividends to deliver. But on the other hand, policies taken with the objective of uh, reaping political dividends might not also end up doing so. I think from an incumbent government's perspective, and this is, this is uh, that of the government that has delivered the budget, the best condition in which they would like to go in for the next general elections is a condition where there is an overall economic stability with a sufficient amount of opportunities uh, for various communities and also a momentum which had gone completely missing during the COVID-19 period. Now, it's going to be very difficult to erase the marks that COVID has left behind. It is going to be a, a very challenging task to completely bring back the entire system of the economic uh, functioning uh, back to normal by the time uh, the next elections go. But I suppose uh, there are uh, bread and butter issues which the government would like to focus upon very specifically. And the foundation of that uh, has been created through not just this budget, but several budgets before insofar as the public welfare policies are concerned, uh, specific targeted beneficiaries are concerned, and also selective steps like the income tax cuts are concerned because uh, we need to take note of the fact that the budget that will be produced next year will be a vote on account budget. It's going to be an interim budget. It will not be a full budget. So uh, the government will not have the opportunity of making major changes uh, in, in income tax rates or uh, other similar rates. So to that extent, uh, I would say that uh, on the whole, this budget looks to be a sensible budget because it has uh, avoided uh, the tendency of being profligate, which which could have been an option, and it is instead focused more on the priority of maintaining uh, growth. So I, I would welcome that policy stance. Thank you, Dr. Palit and Mr. Rai, for your sharp analysis and insights. You were listening to South Asia Chat. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram.